Genesis 33, and this is actually going to be our last week in Genesis. The last of these 32 some odd weeks of being in Genesis. It's been a while. Genesis 33, and we're going to read the whole thing. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, then Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for I've seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Thus he urged him and he took it. Then Esau said, let us journey on our way and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord and Sarah. So Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, but Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the place of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word to us. And we pray that this morning that you would do Yet again, as you have done for us all the days of our lives, God, would you do the surgery on our hearts? Would you take out the, the hardness of our hearts and give us new fleshly pieces of hearts that, um, that love you and that love your people by your word? God, would you do this? And if there's anything that I say that, 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 I say that is contradictory to your word, that is uh, that is that contradicts anything about you, God, would you make us all forget it? In all of this, God, we lift up your name, we praise your name, and we give honor to your name. And we thank you, and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Don't tell anyone this, but uh, when I was younger, when I lived with my parents, I would uh, go in for my midnight snack, which was usually cookie dough, um, I'd get the spoon, I'd take a few bites, one or two or seven, um, and then I would just lick the spoon clean, put it back in the drawer, uh, and I'd just, you know, go to sleep or whatever I did, I don't know. Um, 
well, that all stopped when I got married uh, because I got caught one day. Uh, same story, cookie dough, a, a few bites, one or two or nine. Uh, and I just put the spoon back, and uh, let's just say that after a mild and civil conversation, uh, I vowed to put the spoon back only after washing it. So that was, that was our conclusion that we came to. Well, a few months later, I think I just forgot, honestly, because I'm same story, cookie dough, um, taking my bites, and I go to put the spoon back, but Hawkeye's over there was watching me. Um, and she middle-named me across the room. She was like, Jacob Daniel, you nasty, don't do that. Don't put the thing back in the drawer. Um, and I was like, you kissed this mouth. Like, what's wrong with that? Um, and then, so if any of you have ever been to our house, we wash the dishes. Do not worry. Uh, <laughs> Because old habits die hard, uh, unless you're married, then old habits get slaughtered. Um, but I, I tell you this story because in Genesis 33, we're going to see just old habits come back into Jacob's life. And so in that, uh, we're going to see just a picture of the Christian life. Like We see sometimes there's obedience, there's faith, there's walking by the Spirit in the power of God, and then other times there's walking in those old habits. The walking by flesh, and there's disobedience and faithlessness. We see in this story, we see the old man and the new man. We see the righteous and the wretch. And thus, we see an example to follow and an example not to follow. The example to follow is found in Jacob's interaction with his brother in the first part of Genesis 33. He seeks to reconcile, and they end up hugging it out. And so we, like Jacob, are to reconcile with our brothers and sisters. And the example we see not to follow is in Jacob stepping back into his old man and running from God in sin. So we, unlike Jacob, are to remain steadfast in our walk with the Lord and continue moving forward in grace and the grace that God has given us. So we see two imperatives from the text. The first is reconcile, and the second is press on. The first is reconcile, and the second is to press on. We seek reconciliation with those we have wronged and we press on toward the goal of eternity in walking with God. So let's take a look at the first one, reconcile. Just to give you a backstory, just really quickly, Jacob and Esau, they've just had a tough go at it as brothers so far. Um, Esau, he was like growing up, he's the strong and the manly one. They're twins, so they're, that's already an issue. But um, Esau is the strong and manly one. He's, he's got the more hair on his body. He can hunt game. Jacob, he's the guy, he's like super scrawny. He stays in the tent all the time. And um, he's like the text literally depicts Jacob as just less worthy than Esau. Um, Jacob, he doesn't really care about that. He's like, all right, whatever. I'm going to go and steal Esau's birthright and his blessing. Um, and really, it's kind of funny because he does it with a, a cup of lentil soup. Like, <laughs> yum. Um, <laughs> So rightfully, I mean, Esau is upset. He's just super uh, upset about this. And he tells Jacob, listen, man, once dad dies, like I'm not going to do it in front of dad, but once dad dies, I'm coming for you to kill you. And we know that he's serious because Jacob immediately leaves and he goes to live in the wilderness, which is what the text also describes as where people went to die. So 20 years go by. God has blessed Jacob. Um, he has this huge family. He's got two wives and two other wives. That's a confusing part of the story. And he's got 11 children. Um, but all along, this fear has been with Jacob. When God calls him to go back to his homeland, Jacob's terrified because he knows. He remembers what Esau said he was going to do to him. He knows how serious he was. He saw him growing up hunting mammals. He's like, yeah, I have no chance here. So now, 
Jacob and his family, they've crossed this river. They're coming back. They, they just, Jacob just wrestled with God for this blessing, to, um, for him to be blessed. And then uh, Jacob's men say, hey, just so you know, Esau and a small army of men are coming. And so we see exactly in this moment what a believer in faith is supposed to do. He seeks reconciliation. He seeks reconciliation with his brother. How does he do it? Uh, three different ways. There's heart change. He does it in humility and by offering. So if, if you're a point-taking person, there's point one and then three subpoints. Nope, okay. Heart change in humility and by offering. So the first is that his heart has to be changed by God. And we actually see this happen. We just saw it happen in chapter 32 where Jacob wrestles with God. He's praying with God. He said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Without this encounter with God, Jacob will never be able to change his own heart. Like his heart is super deceitful and he's super scared, but God comes and wrestles Jacob unto change, which is the only way that change does happen. Um, and this is the first part of reconciliation. But what comes out of this? What comes out of the, uh, this heart-changing encounter with God? Humility. Jacob humbles himself. And if you look at verse 1 again, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau's coming. And 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front. Then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. But he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. These are actions of humility. This is the fruit of that heart-changing encounter with God. He goes before his family instead of sending them before like he did um, right before they get to the river, he goes before them. He says, no, I, I take responsibility here. Me before you, well, me before you sounds selfish, but me before you when trouble is coming. I will go before you. And then he bows seven times in humility to his brother. Just culturally speaking, once was enough. Once showed absolute submission, um, but the Bible, the, the number seven shows a wholeness and complete. So he bows seven times in complete submission. It's like, no, it, I, this is humble. What we see from Jacob is just humility. Came from God's wrestling with him. So with a brother or sister that you and I are in conflict with, we are to be humble. We are to bow down before them as less than them. Philippians 2, verse 3 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Count others more significant than yourselves. Do you view people in this way? Do you view those you are in conflict with in this way? Does your heart need changing? In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Jacob is changed by God. He's humbled by God. And lastly, out of both of those things, Jacob gives an offering of repentance. Look at verse 8. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? In chapter 32, Jacob sends like waves and waves of presents and of of flocks and herds of animals. Um, So that's what he's talking about with the company that I met. And Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. 
And the reason he's, he's urging this, the reason he's over and over again, like, no, if I found favor in your sight, please accept my offering, is culturally speaking, again, like there was no reconciliation without the accepting of that offering. So he had to accept it. I don't know if Esau didn't know that. We don't know that. The text doesn't say that. But Jacob urges. He's like, no, listen, you've got to accept this. This is the only way this works. And so the, uh, it keeps going. For I've seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me. And because I have enough, thus he urged him and he took it. The gift that Jacob is offering to Esau is actually a picture of repentance. Jacob gives his offering for the loss that he made Esau suffer. His heart is humbled by an encounter with God, and he makes his amends. He's going to Esau, and he's saying, like, urging him. He's doing everything possible to seek reconciliation with his brother. In this culture, the friendship wasn't accepted until that gift was accepted. Why is this important for you and I to see? Like, if this is what just happened in the text, why is this important for you and I to see? Because reconciliation is the very ministry that you and I have been given in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20 says this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. There's our purpose. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might have, that we might become the righteousness of God. Just like Jacob, you and I have offended God in our sins. And now there's this dump truck load of debt that we owe to God and since we are the offending party. But Christ was made to be that dump truck load of sin that we owed and Christ took on the weight of our punishment of our sins that we couldn't bear. Also that we might be reconciled to God. Christ wouldn't let us sacrifice for it. It wasn't going to work. It was going to be useless. So Christ said, I'm going to pay the debt myself. This means that you and I, as, as if we are disciples of Christ, we should be the best in the world at reconciliation. Why? Because Christ died to reconcile us to God. So now we reconcile, and by that reconciliation, we show others the true and better reconciliation with God in Christ to us. And we have to be honest and say that that's extremely difficult. Like reconciliation, counting others more than ourselves, all that's really hard. But be encouraged. It took Jacob 20 years and an entire night of wrestling God before this was even able to happen. We have to remember the goal. We just read it, that God may make his appeal through us. This does not happen if we are left unreconciled. Nothing hinders our evangelism more than unreconciliation, and nothing fuels our evangelism more than reconciliation. When those outside the faith look and see Mission Church, they will always see arguments, disagreements. Like We're a family after all. That, that stuff happens, but they have to see our love. Do we reconcile? 
Who do you need to seek reconciliation with? This is what we see in Jacob. His heart has been changed by God. He humbles himself before Esau, and he seeks to give everything back to Esau. I'm paying you back. However, there's another truth of the passage, the the ebb to the flow of, of the Christian life, and it's the example not to follow. And this is point two, press on. And it's titled press on because it's the exact opposite of what we see from Jacob here. He goes back to the old man, the old Jacob, and he, he turns from God's call to go back home to his homeland, and he turns to sin. In the Old Testament, geographical travels, they often just were a picture of moral decisions. Um, so, for instance, when the Bible states that Abram went down to Egypt, uh, and then that's where all of the sin happened, like that was a moral decision, a moral sinful decision to go down, like a downward decision. Um, so this is, what just, this is what just happened here with Jacob. If you look at this map, uh, verse 16, Esau is headed back to Seir, the homeland. If you can see the, this blue line, this is where Esau just came up. Esau's going back that same way, and he says, hey, you can come with me. I'll even send you an, an armed escort so that nobody hurts you or anything. Um, but in verse 17, but Jacob journeyed to Succoth, and then Jacob went to Shechem. He completely turns around. He completely turns around from God's call to go home. He just had a great moment in Scripture. Like, he just had this great moment where he reconciles with his brother after 20 years. It was a deadly relationship, and now it's reconciled, and it's, it is God-glorifying. And then Jacob, we don't know. The text does not say if it was because of pride or, or something. But Jacob turns. One commentator says this is to be seen as Jacob returning back to his old self. It's good that Jacob came to the promised land, like he's right on the outskirts of where God has called him to be, and he settles there, like that part is good, but he falls short. Because it seems God directed him to return to Bethel in in Genesis 31, verse 13. He says, go back to Bethel. Um, But Jacob wanted safety and prosperity over following God. He's near Bethel, but not near the God of Bethel. And because of this, the horrible atrocities found in chapter 34 are going to happen, if you want to read that later. Because of Jacob turning back, all of chapter 34 is going to happen. Destruction comes through sin. If you're here this morning, are you in a destructive place in your sin? Have you done nothing but sin this week? Do you feel guilt and shame? Do you feel lost? Behold the beauty and the hope of this passage. Esau is a picture of the Father. We have transgressed and we have sinned against God just like Jacob did to Esau, and because of it, we deserve to be punished unto our death. But God, being rich in mercy and grace, has nothing but an embrace. This news shouldn't cause us to run like Jacob, like, okay, we got that. Now we can turn back to whatever, it else we, whatever else it was we were doing. It should cause us to have a motivation to press on to eternity because we have the gift of Christ right before our eyes. We have the embrace of God the Father. Listen, this is Jesus in the parable of the prodigal son. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, 
Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired, him, hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, do you see Esau? His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Do you look at God's grace and and feel ashamed and want to run away like Jacob? Do not. There is a celebration in heaven over you turning from your sin. And the father awaits with an embrace. amazing news. That's why we press on. This means that you and I can walk in confidence and boldness before God and other people. We can walk across the street. We can go across the globe to to evangelize, to proclaim the gospel to the nations. We can face the horrible news that we've all been dreading. Nothing will shake us because one day we will be wrapped in nothing but comfort in the Father's arms. How is this possible? Like it seems a little like too good to be true if we're honest. Because Jesus took the punishment we deserved and the death that we deserved. So now when we turn to the Father, when the Father looks at us, there's nothing but wide open arms. There's nothing but an embrace left if we have faith in Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel. This is why we meet every Sunday to go over this same truth over and over and over again so that we have the motivation, so that we have the the remembrance of this hope, so that throughout the rest of the week nothing does shake us and we have this purpose and this call in our lives. It's why we as a church are gospel-centered. Everything that we do will be focused on this truth because there's no other truth to be focused on. It'll either be exhausting or super legalistic and it just won't work. Let this morning be God's way of showing up to you. Believe in Jesus Christ today, maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time, but your life does not have to go on in destructive ways. God is in the business of doing impossible acts. Allow him to do yet another one this morning. What's stopping you? What's stopping you from approaching the Father right now. Whatever it is, leave it in behind in repentance. Say, Father, I forsake this and I'm coming to you. Press on.
we reconcile, we press on. And then just listen to Jacob in verse 10. I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. The truth of this passage is that you and I now have the privilege of being able to say this to the Father because of what Christ has done on our behalf. I have seen the face of God, and you have accepted me. The truth of this passage is that we're always going to battle and we're always going to lose and that can be extremely discouraging, but we press on, we fight the flesh um, by this truth alone, by knowing that we have full and complete acceptance from God the Father in the, in the faith that we have in Christ. And because of that, we can stay strong. We can fight sin over and over and over again. Because there's no, there's no motivation better to fight than knowing that the war is already won. The truth of the gospel is that Jesus was victorious on our behalf in reconciling us to the Father in perfect righteousness that was given to us as a gift. And according to this gift, we live. We reconcile. We press on toward the goal of Jesus Christ. The only way to press on in life is by this gospel truth. Otherwise, we see our lives as needing to be perfect or we roll over other people that we're supposed to be ministering to or we lose sight of the goal of holiness and we sin because we do not remember our acceptance that we already have. And Jesus is the ultimate example of reconciliation and Jesus is the reason we press on and we go to exactly where God has called us to and we do not turn one way or another because we're already victorious. Imagine one day, there will, be need, there will be no need for reconciliation. One day we will walk into the Father's chambers and be met with an embrace. In the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, God will say, well done, good and faithful servant that was for Jesus and it will be ours. The embrace that is supposed to be Jesus's is ours in faith. All because of Jesus. So we're going to take communion together to celebrate this truth, to celebrate the truth of the gospel. Um, and as we do it, it's a picture of that day that is to come. Of where you and I, as a family, we're going to be sitting around the table with those we've wronged, with those who have wronged us, and with the God that we have wronged, and we will all be in perfect harmony because of the Son that reconciled us all in faith. What a beautiful picture. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ by faith, or if you're in unrepentant sin, I just ask that you would remain seated during this time of communion. First Corinthians says that you would be eating and drinking in an unworthy manner, and I don't want that for you. If you're an unbeliever, this gospel truth is for you. Let Jesus be your reconciliation to God this morning by faith. See your need. See the desperation that you are left in, if only left to your sin. And believe in the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf today. If you're in unrepentant sin, just like Jacob, you're in the city of Shechem. You've taken a, a wrong turn. You took a bit of a detour out of the way. But God is showing up to you right now. What we didn't see is in 
chapter 35, God calls back out to Jacob and says, keep coming. Like, you've got to finish this. You've got to come back to where I've actually called you. So let this be God showing up to you right now, calling you to forsake your idols and the gods that you're chasing and turning wherever you're turning and come back to faith. Pray to remember God's work on your behalf here. For all of us, uh, here's our prayer. It's going to be up on the screen. Father, we confess that we need this body and this blood to cover our lives. Remind us of the ultimate reconciliation that you provided for us on the cross that we may press on toward you. In Jesus' name, amen. You and I will arrive one day safely at home. It's because of this news that we reconcile, that we seek for others to have this same reconciliation. This is why we sing what we sing. We praise the Jesus who on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. That we, left unto ourselves, have no hope on this earth but to, to die and one day the suffering will be over for this earth and then we actually go to more. But God, in this truth that, that you have set up your son to be the propitiation for our sins, that you have set up to be our life for us, in his life and death and resurrection. God, we thank you for that news. We thank you for that ultimate reconciliation. And we admit and confess that we have no other way. We have no other uh, way to see you, to be connected to you, to have fellowship with you, God, but by your son. Would you help this truth to remind us as day-to-day um, to reconcile with those that we need reconciliation with and to press on to fight sin. All ultimately that we may be ambassadors, that you would make an appeal through us and it would be a strong one because of the work that you're doing in us. In all of it, God, we thank you for your finished work on the cross, for all of the work that you have done on our behalf. We love you, we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.